Good morning. Good morning. Brilliant. As uh, Rich said, my name's John, and we are going to be in our last of the five foundations that we've been looking at since the start of the year. And this is a, a good time as any to think about why are we here? Why are we here? I'm not kind of talking the bigger philosophical question, but why are we here? Why are we, um, why are we part of church? Why do we come on a Sunday morning? You may be here potentially for the first time, and you think, why, why on earth do I agree to come? Why am I here? Um, or it may be that you've come every week for years and years and years, and it's just been a habit for you. The Sunday morning, um, I come to church, and, and that's just what you do. Um, I was talking with our five-year-old uh, about what I was talking about this morning. I said, Joe, why, why should we go to church? Um, his response was uh, biscuits and cake. So <laughs> that may be for you as well. You're here for the biscuits and the cake. Um, it's important to take this time to think, why, why are we here? For the last couple of days, we've been um, with a group of advanced churches. We've been together as, as UK leaders um, and hearing stories of people moving across continents, of learning languages, taking whole families into a completely different culture, of counting the cost and planting churches in new places. And we think, why on earth do we do all of these things? Well, because we believe in the power of the local church. And over these previous Sundays, um, we've been looking at how we are to um, be gospel-centered, how to be mission-focused, disciple-making, and spirit-empowered. And the fifth one, as Rich mentioned earlier, is that we are to be an elder-led church. And at first glance, you think, it doesn't sound that exciting or dynamic. An elder-led church can sound too much like an institution, something that's out of date and a relic of the past. Do we really want to be part of an elder-led church? This week I've been reading Mark Sawyer's book called Disappearing Church, and it looks how often the church blends into society and adopts its values without even thinking. And one of these things that the church can easily absorb is the, the state of mind of the, the death of the institution. He's saying that the world is increasingly shaped towards offering us a, a personalized, commitment-free situation. If you think of, of social media, you choose who you follow, you choose who you're linked with, you choose what information comes in, even if you're just a, a Facebook observer. So I must confess that on Facebook, I'm more of an observer than participator. I'm definitely not a stalker, because that's, that's bad, isn't it? Um, a Facebook stalker. Um, but I, I tend to kind of just see what's going on rather than other people are... I think they don't even read what they themselves are writing, let alone anyone else. Um, but we can choose what things do what are we interested in, what things do we want to have in our minds. Also, we can tailor our, our news to our own tastes as well. On the, uh, your, so on our BBC News app, you can tell, I want to know about fashion or sports or Luton Town, because I can't believe everyone doesn't want to know about Luton Town Football Club, but I have to have my own page specially designed so I can keep up to date. Thank you. So this is true, not just in the, our sports teams or other things we may be interested in. We get very tailored to our own individualistic idea of what we want. So in Sawyer's book, it says that we're witnessing the unwinding of social institutions as they start to unravel as individual autonomy increases. 
And so our values now tend to be in individual freedom and choice. And this can carry over into faith. We want God, but we still want our own authority. Uh, in the book, it says that there's, in Europe, there is unusually low levels of active religi- religiousness alongside relatively high levels of nominal belief. Or to put it as another way, Europe believes, but it does not belong. And I think that's true. To when we often talk to people, they have some belief in God. If you, you'll probably find the same. As you talk to people, they have some belief in God, but think, actually, I don't need to be part of a church or, or anything else. That's, that's just not for me. And there can be often legitimate reasons why we can't be here every Sunday. But we live in a culture where we don't think, actually, we don't really need to be gathering at all. It's all about our own personal choice. So what I want us to do is to to rediscover afresh, to look at why do we want to be part of a church and why do we want to be part of an elder-led church? Well, if you'd like to grab a Bible, um, the ones in the seat pockets, we're on page 702. We're going to read a couple of verses from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here, 1 Timothy chapter 3, page 702. Here, Paul is speaking to Timothy, based in Ephesus. And the book of of Timothy really is a practical how-to for building church. So 1 Timothy Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse 14. So Paul is saying, I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory." Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you that we can gather here together. Whatever our reasons are for being here this morning, we thank you that we can encounter you in this place. We can encounter you and your goodness. I pray that as we look together at your truth and your words, that lives will be changed and that we would be seeing more of who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, why should we bother with church? Why should we bother at all? Well, in these verses, um, verse 15, it's how to, you are to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. The church of the living God. I want us just to pause there for a moment and let the impact of that statement hit us. Because this statement is huge. It is God's church. It's his design. It's his purpose. And it's his delight. Because the church at its heart is not a man-made institution. It hasn't been cooked up by people um, thousands of years ago as this seems like a good idea. This is God's idea. The one who is eternal. The one who is all-powerful. The one who knows all things. The one who loves, who redeems, who saves, who protects, who heals, he forgives, and is completely perfect in every way. It's his idea. He knows what he is doing. And so we're to see that this thing that we're a part of, the church, is the church of the living God. It isn't a relic, but it has the power to bring transformation of broken lives, to demonstrate compassion, and point to the only one worth living for, 
And so let me, let me ask you this morning, is this your view of church? Is this your view of, as we gather together, as we live out our lives, is this your view? Or are we swayed by that, the view of uh, the culture where the individual is king? where we value connecting with others, but on our own terms. Because we live in a world which prizes individual choice. And this flows into our view of faith. For those who aren't Christians or for those who are not in church, um, we can think, actually, my beliefs are my own business. Nobody else's. As long as I'm not hurting anyone, then I'm okay. Don't force your opinions on me. Or it might be someone may say, I believe in God. I don't need to go to a particular building on a Sunday morning to prove that. Or it might be, you say, I have a full life. I'll be at a church meeting when I can make it. Or it might be for Christians who are fully part of the church, we're not immune either. Uh, We were talking in the office the other day about, um, there's a line in a song that says, you make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. And that is um, taken from Romans 8, 28. And the text actually says, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who love God, all things work together for good. And I understand what the songwriter is trying to do in, in writing songs. It's, it's difficult to try and capture truth and put it in an accessible way. But I think this helps us to think in this me-centered way. All things are working together for my good. And it's very easy for, for us together to think in a mindset we all have our our favorite seat and think, this is my place. I mean, I often sit there, but it's okay for anyone else to sit there. That is is absolutely fine. That is not my seat. And if you look around, you can probably work out, yes, we generally all sit in the similar places. Um, I don't know. We could try and experiment. Next week, let's all try sitting somewhere else. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure the church would still run if we all sat in someone someone else's seat. Um, But it's important for us to know, actually, you like where we sit because we get used to it, and that, that is fine. But if our favorite seat becomes more important than the reason why we're gathering together, then we get into real problems. It flows in not to any our favorite seat, but maybe where we park, or the songs we're singing, or a favorite preacher, favorite um, Bible verses being read, your favorite biscuits. Like, I mean, I come most weeks, but do we ever have Battenberg on a Sunday? Very rarely. But I still come because I come because it's important to gather, not just for the cake. Although my son and I are very similar in that respect. Biscuits and cake are an important reason for gathering. So it's not wrong for us to have preferences. But when these preferences come above the reason why we're gathering, then alarm bells need to start ringing. And when we're talking about more about how things weren't to our taste as we gather, rather than how great our God is, then we're in trouble. Because we're to be growing up into maturity together and have that bigger picture. I'm often amazed how our three kids can find something to fight about. Um, whether it's where you sit in the car, or whether it's that, that long-lost toy that hasn't been played with for about 10 months suddenly becomes a favorite for all three. Um, or I'm, I'm sure you can put them in an empty room for 10 seconds and they can still find something to argue about. And there are times you just want to say, just can you see the bigger picture of what, go, what is going on? This thing that you're arguing about is not important and you're going to have forgotten about it in an hour's time. 
It's the same for us. We need to have this big picture. This is the church of the living God, and it is his. Romans 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And so when we are challenged by something that isn't quite to our taste, we need to see, okay, what is the bigger picture here? Let's take a step back. It's not about us. Because the church is the context for God's great purpose. The God, uh, that God chose the church to fulfill his mission. And as we gather, it is such an important way in which this is worked out. And each of the four foundational values that we've been looking at in previous weeks, each of them can only be truly worked out within the context of a local church. And we need to prize that, prize being together. Uh, We're emphasizing here the, the gathering on a Sunday, which is important, but also connecting with each other throughout the week as well. Even with the messiness and imperfections of church, it is worth investing. Because it's true, there's no such thing as a perfect church. It's often been said, if you, um, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll only spoil it. But it's true, because the church is, is full of people, imperfect people. But we serve a wonderful, powerful God. So here we are looking at an elder-led church. How do we stay stay gospel-centered? How do we keep mission-focused? How do we be disciple-making and ensure that we are in spirit-empowered? Well, it's it's through elder-led churches because a household doesn't just run itself. We know in in our own homes there is order to, to one degree or another. We need to make sure that our homes are are worked on. And for guys here, there's more than just taking the bins out to help a household run properly, although that is a very important job. And somehow it it defaults the guy's job is take the bins out and then everything else magically happens around the house. There does need to be order. And for us, not just to be a group of individuals with our own preferences, with no sense of common purpose, we believe we need to have elders in place. So at this site here, I'm an elder. We have Rich, who's also an elder. Um, Paul, who's working this Sunday, is an elder as well. And we have Dan alongside us, who's on, tr- on that eldership track. At 502, which is our other site, I'm going to be going and speaking there in a moment, we have uh, Matthew, who leads the team of elders. Uh, we have Gordon, and we have Aaron. Also, we have at 502, Nathaniel and Ian on that eldership track as well. So why, why do we have elders? The model of, of church leadership that we see in the New Testament and what we try to do as, as churches, as much as we can, is to apply what we see in Scripture, apply it to the world today and church today. So we see in the New Testament the pattern of apostles, those who go around planting and strengthening churches, appointing elders in every church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In another one of Paul's letters, He says in Titus chapter 1, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So each church is to be uh, directed by elders. And these elders are responsible for, we use three Gs uh, at Gateway, guarding, guiding, and governing. That's what we're responsible for. For guarding, protecting the church, making sure what is taught is correct, guarding us from going off course in what we think and what we believe. There's guiding, 
like the church has a, a shepherd for his sheep. Um, sorry, uh, the church having a... Um, let me say that again. The ch- I've written the church like a shepherd his sheep. Is that, does that make sense? You understand, what, you understand what I'm saying? Just like a shepherd, here we go, just like a shepherd looks after his sheep, protects them. Go, you're very helpful there, Rich. You, you appreciate, this is why we have an elder team, so that we can encourage each other, help one another um, in our time of need. Um, just as a shepherd will look after his sheep, make sure that they're going in the right direction, uh, well cared for. That is what we as elders are to be doing making sure that we are going in, in the right direction into good pasture. And governing, making sure things are done well and remaining healthy. So elders are meant to be in the plural, a, a team of elders, not just about one person and one person's ministry. Elders are, are uh, appointed in response to the anointing of God rather than an act of, of human promotion. Often we can be get, get caught up in, particularly in, in today's world, in terms of, of status and, and who's better than um, the other people and who's in the place of, of primacy. Here together, we are all of equal value before God. We are all equal. Everyone has fallen short and called on the name of the Lord so that we can be saved. We're all together, one people, but we have different roles. Um, and we believe that the role of elder is important to make sure that we stay healthy as a church. The elder team is meant to set the pace in keeping the local church adventurous, pure, and compassionate. And so I encourage you to pray for us. This is not a, a small task, and it's not one that we take lightly. It's a real privilege to be able to serve alongside these, these other guys. I want to honor them before you. They, have, uh, they are men of, of great heart, of great faith, and it's a real privilege to do what we do. But it is a real challenge, too. And so we want each of these other four values to be worked out in the context of a strong church following where God leads We believe elder-led churches provide the context for fruitful growth, not that we're seeking to do everything. Often you see that as well, don't you, that um, you have one or two people running around trying to do everything while everyone else watches in and sees them slowly get exhausted and burned out. That's not what we're doing. We are here to help make sure we are functioning together and each one can play their part. We're to be here together. So what we're going to do in our time remaining is just go through each one of those um, foundations that we've looked at and and see how this is to be worked out in the context of an elder-led church. So, foundation one. Okay, for bonus points, you can remember what the first foundation is that we looked at. Gospel-centered, Phil, you get um, a sticky star or or bonus point or or Battenberg later on. You would have to buy it yourself, though, unfortunately. (laughs) So, gospel-centered, um, we are to be centered on gospel truth. In the passage that we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, um, it says of Jesus that he was manifested in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh. He chose to go to the cross. And then at the end of the verse, it says he was taken up in glory. Everything that we are to be doing is to be centered on the truth of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2, it speaks of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all Paul wanted to, to focus on in Corinth. Jesus Christ and him crucified. The gospel works in our hearts. It shapes everything. Um, Martin Luther said this, 
whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. And across this room, you can think, okay, when things get difficult, when things get tough, where do we go? Where is your heart clinging to and confiding in? Because that is, is really your God. And it may be here this morning, you've never really thought uh, about Jesus and why he came. We're to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus gave his life to deal with our greatest need. He dealt with our sin. He dealt with everything that, that cuts us off from relationship with God. And so whatever situation we are going through, we can cling to that truth. Jesus has given us everything, and he calls for a response. All of our life is to be shaped by being gospel-centered. So if we've been offended by someone, we can allow that offense to fill our minds, or we can remind ourselves of the truth that Jesus has forgiven our greatest offense. And so we can show forgiveness as well. Or it may be that we can think of someone else, they don't deserve kindness. But we're to know of ourselves that when we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Or it might be you're in a situation thinking, I don't really know if, if God cares for me. We can look to the gospel truth in Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We can look to this gospel truth to shape our minds. And it's important for us to do that together because we can often forget these truths in the midst of crisis, in the midst of, of frustration, in the, the midst of being so angry, it's hard to step back and remember truth. And so we can gently encourage one another. And we do that in a context of community, a grace-filled community, working together to see people know Jesus and have their lives centered on the gospel. Second one uh, is mission-focused. And in Sawyer's book that I mentioned earlier, he's saying that often institutions have been replaced with networks which are fluid and not solid. Things, uh, networks can do things very well, but there are also many limitations. Malcolm Gladwell is quoted in the book. He says, Car companies sensibly use a network to organize their hundreds of suppliers but not to design their cars. No one believes that the articulation of a coherent design philosophy is best handled by a sprawling, leaderless organizational system. Because networks don't have a centralized leadership structure and clear lines of authority. They have real difficulty reaching consensus and setting goals. They can't think strategically. They are chronically prone, prone to conflict and error. So saying there that um, networks don't provide that context for clear goals, for clear purpose, for pushing forwards together. And we're not to say, say there aren't any problems with institutions, but there aren't. But really, it's institutionalized. Oh, here we go. Institutionalization is the problem, not the institution. When structures become the end in themselves, that is when things go wrong. When we get into a situation where we're just form-filling or, or box-ticking, I know we've probably all been through that situation. You think, why on earth am I doing this? You're just um, serving a, a system rather than actually doing anything helpful. Healthy institutions nourish life 
and bring uh, flourishing. And that's what we're to be as a church, not uh, get stuck in institutionalization. So what is the goal and mission of a church? Well, again, in our, in our passage, we see that clearly in verse 18. Uh, it says in the second half that Jesus proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world. That is, that is what we're here to do, to see that Jesus proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world. We're on this mission together. When we looked at this point a, a few weeks ago, we had this quote from Terry Virgo. It says, If the church is perceived as simply a gathering of people who attend religious services, little leadership is required. Leading the meetings and preaching sermons are all that must be mastered. If, however, the church is seen in a different light, namely as the focal point of God's purposes for world evangelization and the key center for discipleship, training, envisioning and releasing ministry, then leadership takes on a totally new meaning. So particularly as we, as we gather together, we're to know that we have clear purpose. We're the focal point of God's purposes for world evangelization. And this is our job as elders to keep us on track and not get distracted. This is the biggest thing to keep in our minds and to know that this is a work of God. It is his mission. We can't bring people into salvation. We can help point people to Jesus, though. And to know that Jesus has done it all, that no one is too far gone. No one is beyond the need of God's grace. We go in his power, on his mission, for his fame. And to know that actually there is a huge scope. The population just of, of Paul, where we are now, is 150,000. Across this conurbation, there's more than 465,000 people. Luke 10 verse 2 says, The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. We're to know there is great and wide scope for us to work together to see people come to know Jesus. And it's only together that we can do this, not as a series of, of random scattered individuals. The third one um, that we looked at is disciple-making. And uh, in our passage, it, it talks of, um, it, uh, I'm, Paul says, I hope I'll come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. You may know how one ought to behave because we're about making disciples. We're clear, Jesus was clear in the Great Commission. It says, go therefore, in Matthew 28, and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' command there is that we're to be teaching people to observe all that he has commanded. And we're to be affecting the heads, hand, and heart. So in making disciples, affecting our heads, making sure that our, our knowledge is uh, in line with Scripture, knowing the, the, the picture of the story of Scripture, knowing how to read different parts of the Bible. Jesus says that the truth sets us free. And so we need to know how, how to handle challenges when they come up, thinking, does God really love me? Thinking that the whole world is, is falling apart. We can look, actually, no, God is ruling over the heavens and the earth. The current turmoil of, of wars, of suffering, of violence, 
is not unforeseen by God. It is written about, and we can trust in God's sovereignty. And together, this helps us to hold on to these truths that we can so easily forget. So discipleship is about the head. It's also about the hands. We're talking about Christ followers who actually obey Jesus in the day-to-day. Not simply knowing what we should know, but actually working it out. Often we can come across people who are really intelligent, but have very little common sense. Do you know anyone like that? They say, wow, I'm staggered by your, your intellect, but actually in the day-to-day life, I think you have not much wisdom at all. So we're not just to be knowing lots of things in our minds, but actually living it out as well. And then it's to be affecting our heart. Jesus told us to love God with all of our hearts. So we're not just to be knowing the right things, doing the right things. It needs to be engaging our hearts. Because if we don't engage our hearts, if we're not loving God, then it's just going to be outward actions and empty gestures. Our hearts need to be genuinely in love with Jesus, knowing that he is our ultimate prize. It may be something that may be for you. Actually, I feel like I'm just going through the motions. I feel like I know the right things, I do the right things, but my heart isn't there. It was a while ago, or maybe it never has. We'll have opportunity to pray later on. Jesus wants your heart, not just your actions, not just you doing the right things. Those are, those are secondary. He wants our hearts, and he wants us to know him and love him. Excuse me one moment. There we go. Um, the church offers us that connection that these networks can't do. If we're just connecting, particularly on, on social media, that we don't have that genuine relationship Social networks are brilliant at multiplying weak ties. But together in the church, we can build strong ties, which are committed, which are are long-term, which are sacrificial. And yes, church is messy. It breaks our illusions of how good we may think we are, when our preferences are challenged, when we do things wrong, and when other people do things which are wrong to us. But this is what God calls us to do. In all the messiness, in all the challenge of life, we're being made more like him. We're to go making disciples. And then fourth and finally, the value of being spirit-empowered. It says again in our, in our verses that Jesus was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit. Because Jesus was really human. He came to this earth as human. He was raised to life by the power of the spirit. We also read in Luke chapter 4, that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. If Jesus needs to come in the power of the Spirit, how much more do we need to do so? We can't go in our own power, in our own strength, with our own ideas. We need to go empowered by God's Spirit. We're to know that as God's people together, we carry his presence. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And that you in there is plural. It's not singular. We can often take, oh, I carry God's presence wherever I go, which is, which is true. But there's a dynamic of us being together, that we are God's temple, God's dwelling place. 
as adopted children and friends of God, we have free access into his presence. It's something that we experience through the activity of the Holy Spirit. We carry his presence. We carry his power. And we live out um, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Holy Spirit at work in our lives brings change. And this is because of what Jesus has done not to earn his favor. And these, all these things need to be worked out in community. Love needs to be shown to someone. Joy is multiplied when shared. Patience is needed when dealing with others. We, you know, it's true that you can be very patient when you're by yourself. But it's other people that try your patience. Kindness needs to be demonstrated to others. So we need a community, a body, to live this out. We are people carrying the very presence of God. So as we uh, come to a close, we are caught up in God's story, on God's mission, and God's plan. He is the source of our hope. Our pastor says, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Have you made response to this Jesus? Let me ask, what are you clinging to this morning? As his design is for his mission to be advanced by the church, and we're all to be involved, whether we have a busy job, whether we're running around after kids, whether we're struggling with health or feeling that life is too much, we're all to play our part. Not as a burden, but a joy, being part of the church of the living God. And so when we come, we're to make the most of, of being together, of engaging as we worship, as um, we look at God's word, to engage. Because it is very easy for us to go in autopilot and just go through the motions. We're to be engaged on Sundays in our life groups, prioritize being there and gathering together, making the most of serving in different areas of, of church life, playing our part and making the most of being in community, because it is a choice, a choice to step in, a choice to open up to each other and to show compassion to each other. So how do we stay gospel-centered, keep mission-focused, be disciple-making, and ensure that we are spirit-empowered? We do that through elder-led churches, knowing that it is a privilege to be part of God's plan and part of His church. Why don't we stand and, and pray together? Lord God, we, we thank you that it is all about you. We thank you that it is your plan and your purpose. We thank you that you have called us by name and you've called us to play a part in your church. We pray now that as we spend time in worship, as we break bread together, that we remember that it is primarily a work of you. And Lord, I pray now that you'll be after our hearts. And that when our hearts are, are one to you, then we will be able to uh, respond effectively in every area of life. And so now, Holy Spirit, I pray when you come on us. 
Let us see the wonder of who you are, the privilege of your call, and the joy of you drawing near. So Lord, we look to you and pray when you come in your power. Amen. Can we just remain standing for a moment?